everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. I am so proud of the fact that my daughter especially sees me pursuing what mm-hmm. it is that I want to do, what mm-hmm. what it is that I need to do, whether that's like going to a conference or going on vacation or like taking time for myself or pursuing something that I love. Because mm-hmm. I don't want for her to believe that all of her identity has to be wrapped up in who she happens to be a parent of or mm-hmm. who she happens to be married to. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Hustle & Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. We know all the challenges that come with starting a business. Between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company, we wake up and hustle every day. And today we're talking, just the two of us, about last week's episode with Beth McMillan, founder of Oh So Cute Designs. If you haven't heard last week's episode, go give it a listen and come back to hear our thoughts. All right, Court, let's get started. (laughs) Let's get started. (laughs) Loved that episode with Beth because it was was totally full circle because we planned their wedding. Yes. And um, I was actually good friends with Will. In high school, we went to, I guess it was Young Life or something. But I don't know. I always loved Beth. I feel like she has such a great, like, insight in life like she's always been someone that has like you can like literally talk to her for hours and hours and hours on end yeah because she has so many good like tidbits and she's a deep thinker like yeah, I was gonna if, say she's like an out-of-the-box thinker yeah but I feel like when you talk to her she doesn't just give you some kind of like anecdotal like hallmark bullshit it's yeah. just like really thoughtful yeah she's so like always, placate yeah yeah I always appreciate that I feel her. like like a very kindred spirit with Beth it was very yeah. interesting she said that she relates a lot to me on the yeah. podcast yeah what was your um what was your like favorite favorite takeaway? Favorite takeaway. Well, I really loved because I've definitely felt this way when she was talking about um before she made her 40 before 40. Um, which maybe I'll make that. Just get it all done next week. Um <laughs> that she really felt like life was carrying her along mm-hmm. with it and she wasn't really like an active participant. Mm-hmm. And I could totally relate to that feeling where your mm-hmm. life is just spitting off without you and you're there but you're not like taking the oar or rowing in any direction and you're just kind of at the mercy of what's happening around you or people's reactions or Mm -hmm. where the river's flowing at that point yeah yeah no I I agree with that I feel like I think that's a really hard thing to recognize too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's hard to take a step back and say, like, am I an active? Because she said I wasn't an active participant. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to get that way when you have a family or like if you are a business owner, you're just kind of doing that day-to-day normal, like just continue, like checking the list, checking the to-do list. But I think sometimes when you take a step back and it's when you kind of get that burnout feel when you're like, you realize I'm not being an active participant in my life. I'm just surviving. Like you're just kind of going through the motions and just doing the next thing and not really making any future casting, like not doing anything today for a moment there uh, when I was like right in the middle of what I would call recovery from that. I would make this list of like, what what is today's Courtney going to do to benefit 
future Courtney, mm-hmm. right? Like, what am I going to actively do today that I'm going to thank myself for later? And I realized that a lot of my life, I was just making a series of decisions that just got me through today. And mm-hmm. it wasn't really benefiting my mm-hmm. future Courtney. And that future Courtney, like, resented that past Courtney for that. I do want to say, I think that there's times in your life when that's necessary to just get oh, sure. through the moment, get through the day. But I, I feel like... I don't know there's been times in my life where I felt that, but I haven't fully felt that. I haven't yeah. felt like an active because I mean, you saying like, what can I do today to help my future self? And I consistently think of that because I will tell myself, oh, I'll push this off to tomorrow. But I'm like, nope, you're not going to do it tomorrow. You're going to get pissed that you have to get it done. You have X, Y, Z to do. You have all these yeah. other things you need to get done today so you can do all these other things tomorrow or whatever. And I say that on the very like simple, like day-to-day level, not necessarily on the higher I definitely make decisions that benefit me in the moment when it comes to like relational things or like big picture things because it's easier and I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I think you're kind of the opposite of that. Like you are very much sometimes a future planner. What are these, how are these three steps going to affect my future that you neglect the today, Dana? Mm -hmm. I think you're the opposite. Yeah. But I love that because mm-hmm. I think I have just – I definitely have woken up and looked in the mirror at some point years ago and I was like, who is this person? Like this mm-hmm. is like nothing like I want my life to look or this is not how I want, would want to feel at this point in my life. And the only thing that I can change is me, right? Like I'm the only common denominator. Mm-hmm. And so really making those changes to be an active participant, take the paddles, take the oar, mm-hmm. steer it where I want it to go. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think you fall into, like, that victim mentality. Oh, yeah. I mean, personal responsibility is so hard. Like, Sure, yeah. I mean, I feel that. I feel not on that same kind of level. I was literally having this conversation with Sam the other day, and, like, I I feel like it's been, like, a rough, like, relationship year for me. And, you know, like, it's been, like— Like, relationships in general. You're not saying, like, yours and Sam's relationship. Right, right, right. You're just saying yes. general relationships. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. I was saying like, so like I, like my relationship with my in-laws has been really, really like shaky and very shattered. And, you know, I have a functional relationship with my parents, but it's hard. Yeah. Um, I really have to, there's a lot we don't talk about mm-hmm. because I can't, um, you know, me and you struggled for a couple years there for a while. And I was telling Sam, I was like, and all I can sit here and think about is like, it's me. Like I am the common <laughs> denominator. Yeah. All of these things. What did he say? It must be me. And he said, well, you're a part of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So certainly it is like you, quote unquote. And he said, but you just have to, un- he's like, you have to make a decision how you want the relationships to go. And you have to decide where your line is and if you're willing to fight for it or you're willing just to let it be or what he's like you need to make that decision because it's in between he's like is what's killing you right it's putting the expectation that they're going to behave a certain way because you care about them and you and you want that relationship and then they don't rise that occasion and then it stresses you out and it makes you upset right he said so you either need to decide or you can continue to have that expectation or are you going to pull back and just say this is just is what it is you know. Right. But you can't sometimes I think it is hard because for so many so much you take that victim mentality that this isn't my fault. Right. This is their fault. This is this, this, this. And there is truth in that, but at the same time, like you're responsible for how you feel in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think you're responsible for the situations you put yourself in. Oh, like yeah. you're responsible for not 
speaking up, speaking up, or not creating boundaries, or mm-hmm. saying no, or when right. you, or saying yes when you really mean no, right. and like creating an area for resentment. Right. You know, like you're responsible for all totally. that. Totally. So I think you're like, you can't make yourself powerless in that situation right. no. because then you don't have power to change it and to right. make it better. But it's yeah, and like what's so bizarre is I feel like I have a lot of personal responsibility in business. Like mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to tell you I messed up. Like Sarah, who's our marketing director, went and got married. And left us to do all the marketing for 10 days. And it was very hard. I know. So thoughtless of her. I know. And we, I thought we did a great job. And it came around that. We did a so-so job. Yeah. I mean, for us, we did a great job. (laughs) And it came around that weekend and we were about to release an episode. And I was supposed to make the cover art. And she gave me the templates. And I didn't look at it before she left. I just assumed it was all there or whatever. And I, I, I know graphic design. Like Mm -hmm. I. I conceptually understand what I should have had in my possession right. before she left. And so the night before I'm supposed to get this thing out, I open it up and I'm like, shit, I can't mm-hmm. do this. I don't have the fonts. Like I should have gotten the fonts with the templates. And so we punted. It worked out just fine. But I emailed her and I said, uh, I actually can't do this. I know you're back tomorrow. This is not an emergency. We figured something out. I said, but I should have looked at this before you left. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like, this was my fault. Like, this was not your fault. Like, right. I failed here because I did not prepare myself. And, you know, and it was fine. Like, but I don't have a problem taking personal responsibility for things like that. But sometimes relationship-wise, I have a hard time taking personal responsibility. Well, yeah, because there's not a whole lot of emotion and like, well, I screw that up in business or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of emotion in relationships. And I think you have a lot of expectations. I had very low expectations for how mm-hmm. well we were going to do on marketing. And I say we, I mean you, at marketing when Sarah was gone. So mm-hmm. anything that we did do exceeded my expectations, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. And it was not like a like a high stakes thing either. Right. Like if the marketing went badly for one week, it wasn't going to like make or break whatever situation right. we're in. But in relationships, those are emotionally charged, high right. stakes conversations and yeah. interactions and mm-hmm. everything's kind of building on itself. So it is it is hard Yeah. in those situations. I think that's universal. Well, I loved kind of going on that same vein. She said that she made this comment Um, We didn't really expound on it, but I wrote it down. She said, experiences will shape you, but you can still choose who you want to be. And I love that because – and she was talking about at the time when, like, 20s and 30s and how, like, you make different decisions in that different time. And I I think that's so true that, like, we are who we are because of the experiences that we have, right? Right. The relationships that we have, the, the hard roads we went down, the great roads we went down. And they do shape us. But at the end of the day, we still get to choose who we want to be. Like we can still choose how much that experience experience changes us, how much we want to internalize it or learn from it and like push it out. Do you know what I mean? Right. I just love the way she said it because I've always heard like, oh, you're a product of your experiences or it's shaped me to who I was. Like this experience made me who I am. And yeah. And I think there is some truth to that, but I also think that if it's an experience and something you don't want to be, like, you can choose. Well, I think I, th- I see it as, like, like two-pronged. One, I think two people can experience the exact same thing and have two different perspectives on it and have two different outcomes, right? right? You, can, you can experience something really, really terrible and maybe even tragic. I mean, whatever that might be. And you can either choose to look back at that and 
garner strength from what you've mm-hmm. been through and what what how it grew you and take that information into the next possibly hard experience and you can look you can look back and say I went through that I can definitely do this this is, this is a bump compared to that hill or you can let it shape you into like towards anxiety or towards uh, like that victim mindset or mm-hmm. towards the like nothing's in my control kind of thing. So why why should I give effort to this mm-hmm. when this ended in this way or whatever? Mm-hmm. So I think there's that. I think it's about perspective. And then I think too, like once you get out of childhood, in the vast majority of cases, you get to pick your experiences. Mm-hmm. Like you get to decide what you're going to experience on some level and what you're going to expose yourself to, what you're not going to expose yourself to, what you're going to allow, what what interactions with relationships you're going to have, you know? But isn't it so crazy that your childhood, let's just say, is from zero to 18, right? Yeah. It's 18 years of your life. So by the time you're 40, like you are 37, I guess, you've over half your life you've been— Let's just say, hypothetically, you're 37. <laughs> over half your life you've been an adult. Yet the things that impact your life the most are those first 18 years as opposed to the second 18 years. The ones that you always go back to and what you remember and that pulls you back into those uh, questionable states. Like why why you have that inner critic, that voice that you hear. It's normally somebody and something from those first 18 years. So why are those first 18 years so freaking damning? Like – I don't and, know. I don't and think, I think I'm it's qualified make, to answer that but question. But I think it, it's what makes being a parent so freaking stressful. I, you know, I you know we believe in therapy, and mm-hmm. I will always support my children going to therapy. I will pay for my children's therapy, and I know they're going to need it because I'm not a perfect parent. But like, I still struggle with like, what are we doing now that they're going to carry for the rest of their life? Like, how are the words that I'm talking to my daughter now that she's going to carry for the rest of her life? Sure, but then you could also spin that to be like, okay, you're a fairly reasonable person majority of the time, and you had all those 18 years of experiences where that were well, yeah, built you to where you right. are, and it worked out. No, no, I'm not saying she's got, it's going to be like miserable or hard, but there's definitely things that you have to overcome. There's definitely like hard steps in life, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that we should create this cushy life and that they never have any like yeah. shit to deal with like at all, but when I think about the things that have impacted me the most as a child, I don't think you would, if you would ask my parents in the moment, they would say like, oh, that's not going to impact the rest of her life. Right. You know? And so how do I know? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think you know, because yeah. I think everybody's wired differently. So you mm-hmm. don't necessarily know what someone know. could just brush off could be life altering for somebody right. else. Like even talking about our childhood, we had similar childhoods, but it was very different. Yeah. I mean, like when we talk about it, you would think in a lot of ways that we grew up in different families because my experience with our family was different than your experience with our family, well, yeah. just based on, like, birth order. Well, so was our brother's experience is very different. Right, and our brother's experience is very different than our experience. Right. So, like, I don't know. I think there just must be some grace. I think there's just grace in parenting. I think no one's going to get it perfect. We're, we can't strive for that. You can just do the best with what you have at the time, which I think was really one of the great points because she was kind of talking about where she was in her 20s and where she was in her 30s and where she was in her 40s. And I just just think that you do the best of the information you're given at the stage of life that you're in. Right. You know, and like if you were a parent at 60, you'd be a much different parent than you a, a parent at 30, right? You have a lot more life experience, a lot more, a lot more that you're bringing to the table. 
Mm -hmm. You start as a parent at 25, right? Right. So you're bringing your 25-year-old self to that table. Very different than your 37-year-old self. Yeah. Well, I loved her talking about like her voice and finding her voice Mm -hmm. and using your voice because, I mean, I just relate so much to that. And I think that a lot of people really do like being told at one point that they're not good at something. And, And it's really interesting her talking about and even like her talking about her art as a child, like mm-hmm. how her sister was this amazing artist and she had this little corner. And I'm curious, like going back and if if you could step back in time and look at what her sister created, what she created, would she still find her art not to be perfectly beautiful? Because I'm sure yeah. Beth was a very happy kid. Like, yeah. The, the fact that she wanted to be a cheerleader, like I, I can only imagine that she was probably like, oh, this art brought me joy. And I and I loved that aspect, that it was just like this attitude of you create something. And we're not just talking about art here. We're talking about you just create something, whether it's you create something in business or you create a new business or you create a wonderful dinner or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, that the only objective is that it should bring somebody joy and if that somebody is only you then that was worth it yeah and you know that was really powerful yeah I think especially as a mom and as a wife and mm-hmm. as someone that's in a role of service a lot of times yeah and not necessarily service to yourself I think it's very powerful to do something right. that just brings you joy right because I think it brings you back to being a human right you know is there anything that you do in your life that just brings you joy? I think dinner, food. I mean, I know I've lamented about it before. Like there's yeah. times when like I think sometimes I get – I feel like I'm on the hamster wheel, which is hard. But then there's times in life when I don't feel that way and I feel really inspired and yeah. like excited to create new things. And and I and my family is the best family in the world to cook for because everything they eat is the best thing they've ever had. And I'll always say like, is this a repeater? And they're always like, yeah, it's a repeater. It's great. It's so wonderful. And they're like so complimentary. That's nice. I know. And it can be like the weirdest thing. Like I think literally I can count like on one hand the dinners. They were like, it was really good, but it wasn't my favorite thing. Like <laughs> like I really loved this part, but, you know, I didn't love like that flavor or whatever. So that brings me joy. Yeah. What about you? Well, I don't know. I think I, I fall in, under Beth. Like I don't feel like I'm like an overly creative person. I like to create like design spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I have a good eye for like scale and what goes together and probably more like interior design. Mm. Um, but I don't like overtly, well, I create quilts. That's not true. You do create um, quilts. I do, but I only like it seasonally. So I'm not in that season yet. So it doesn't <laughs> uh, cross my mind, but somewhere around like November to like February, mm. I love to sew things. Mm. And then after February, like I'm done and it, the bug hits me again around November. Mm. But I do, I do like doing that. Yeah. For that season. I also really loved when she said that when she's talking about her journey and she was like how she got onto it. She saw something. She's like, I can make that. Oh, I can make that. Yeah. Oh, I can in trouble. That. I know. What What have you seen that you're like, I can make that. What have I and not you did seen? It, and you made it. The Bradford? I don't know. Like, but literally, <laughs> I thought that my whole life. Like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Like, mm-hmm. wanted to make a quilt. I made a quilt. Like, I made a quilt for your daughter Mm -hmm. and hand quilted it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't ever want to do that again. Made a quilt for Nora's queen size bed. So I didn't want to do that. Uh, I had a friend that used to knit. I was like, I'm going to learn how to knit. So Mm -hmm. I would knit people hats and scarves or whatnot. 
whether it's like any household project, I think I can do it. I can't do all of them well. Like all of our shower enclosures that we tiled have indicated that maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, like I'm not maybe a great like vertical tiler. But I thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, think of all the things that we've done. Like we've built decks, we've built cabinets, we've put mm-hmm. in floors, we've tiled things, we've done the trim, we've painted things, we've put up siding in our houses, multiple houses. We mm-hmm. did the siding, we've planted trees, we've laid sod, mm-hmm. patios. Like what is it that we haven't thought, oh, I can do that? Yeah, there is probably like a not much of that I like, oh, I can't do that, but a lot of, like I don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, now I don't want to. <laughs> Insulation, everyone do that again. Yeah, I think I'm at the stage in my life where it's not oh, I can do that. It's mm-hmm. more along the lines of, do I have the bandwidth to do that? And mm-hmm. if I have the bandwidth, is that what I want to be using it for? Right. Most of the time, the answer is no. But don't you feel like a lot of that, most of the like, oh, I can make that, I can do that, stemmed more from a necessity of a financial standpoint. Absolutely, standpoint yeah. Than anything else. And I, But I think what I loved about her uh, mentality, it wasn't about necessarily like a financial standpoint all the time it was just like oh i can do that that looks cool i can try that let me make that yeah like just kind of like staying perpetually curious yes which i think is important in life but for me personally like that ship has sailed Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was curious now i know you're no longer curious (laughs) i'm no longer like for me i know how it ends i know i know like one of the craziest things to me uh, when we were like, oh, I can do that. And we're going to save money. And obviously, it was out of necessity for money because I hate painting. I would never paint as we paint in the Bradford. Mm-hmm. And it cost us, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand dollars mm-hmm. in paint. And I'm sure that it saved us a ton of money. But I remember when we had things repainted, I was like, that's all you're charging me? Yeah. That's all it costs for you to come in here? And that included the paint? Yes. Like, what did I just waste months of my life for? Yeah, no, that is true. I mean, I think there is some things like that. And I think that's a lot of, I think that's where a lot of professionals kind of bang their head up against the wall. And they're like, oh, it'd be cheaper if I just did it. And you're like, it could be nominally cheaper, but yeah. because we are able to get like so much like things wholesale or whatever, like it's never to me, it's not much cheaper to to drywall a house by yourself as it is to hire drywallers. It's pretty much I comes literally out. literally never do that. But it comes out in the wash yeah. when you think about the cost of the materials to do it. And not even including your time. Even if you were to pay yourself some crappy $5 an hour, it would still be better for you just to hire someone to come and do it. Yeah. I feel like, and that's, we never drywalled anything like as adults, but I do distinctly remember drywalling as a child when my parents built the house in oh, Florida. Yeah. And I remember how long it took. Do you remember? Yes. It was like months. Uh-huh. And drywallers come in and get it done in like days. Yes. But it was like months of our life trying yep. to drywall. And I'm like, how much money did they save? Like, if you were to add up all the hours of all the people doing that, it had to have been very, very costly. Yeah, but, you know, it's like when you're an owner of something or whatever, like, your time isn't worth anything. Well, I just don't believe that anymore. Well, yeah, I know, but you're in a different mentality. Yeah. What about for you? I I have thought that perpetually about a lot of things in my life, and I, I'm thinking more on the artsy level. Than oh, artsy like level. Okay. Otherwise. I mean, I feel very capable about building something and you know, with the right, whatever. I'm like, oh, we can, we can handle that. But like art wise, I, I always, I want to be better at things than I actually am. And mm-hmm. I think if it's a technology thing, like, like the thing with Adobe, like, oh, I can figure that out. Like I I can figure it out. Like I can, yeah, I have the perseverance enough to do it, but I think there is something about you either are art- artistic in a technical term or you're not mm-hmm. right. So like, 
I'm not good at drawing. I just am not. And I wish I was, and I always wanted to be able to draw, and I and I don't do it well. But I've also never taken the time to practice and continually try. Like maybe if I did the doodle challenge, like I would be better at it. Yeah. Like if I continually did it every a little bit every single day. But I thought that way about embroidering. I was like, I can make that. I can yeah, do you that. Did. And I did. There was definitely lots of mistakes. Yeah. And I think I restarted my first one. I restarted it three times. So I finally got the right fabric and tension and all that yeah. stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that I can do anything. Like I used to think whenever I thought back on school and college, I remember being very stressed out, like, and how hard it was to take tests and to write papers and all that. And how much I, for some reason, I don't know why, but when I was in my 30s, I was like, I could probably go back to school and be fine. I, for some reason, thought, like, I know how to take notes. I can absorb this information. Like, it can't be that hard. Like, it can't be that hard to learn something new, right? Because yeah. if you're willing to learn it or whatever. And I know, and I'm thinking this in my head, and I know it's total folly. <laughs> it's not like if I was to take calculus right now again, even though, like, I was a math major, I mean, yeah. maybe some of it would come back, but I'd probably struggle. Yeah. I probably would too. <laughs> but there is something in me that just felt like I can do it. Like, there's no question about it. And I don't know why. <laughs> Some false confidence. Well, cheers to false confidence. <laughs> I think to, like, end, like, right away, like, I related to Beth when she was talking about that identity crisis mm -hmm. that she felt like she had after mm -hmm. having her daughter. And I think that there is an identity shift I think women feel more than men when they become parents. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Where there's like this all-consuming role shift, and I and I think it just I think it's just the nature of the beast. Like when you have a child as a mom, like you're growing that child, and then you're birthing that child, and yes, you might have a partner, but they are not doing the work, and mm -hmm. then you're feeding that child, especially mm -hmm. if you're breastfeeding or whatnot, and getting up in the middle of the night. Like you're literally that child's whole world and the reason it's going to survive, mm -hmm. you know, from like conception to the first year or so. And I think that it is so identity altering and it's so easy to get lost in that like singular role, mm -hmm. you know, that and it can be hard to refine yourself again mm -hmm. outside of the confines of being a mother. And not that I'm not, I'm not saying that being a mom hasn't like enriched or empowered like I never felt more empowered than right after I had a baby I was like I'm a badass I just did that you mm -hmm. know it was like an amazing experience but also it was a life-altering experience in terms of like your perception and how you fit in the world and your personal importance mm -hmm. do you know what I mean yeah I think it's I I remember me and Sam had this conversation before we had Ada because I was really really fearful of that and mm -hmm. And there was definitely times, I mean, that where I had an identity crisis where I was like, who am I? I am literally just this person's mother. There is nothing else. And it was really hard when the world around me only confirmed that. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, really early on, like, one of the things, like, like one of my, like, hardest memories I had with, like, with my mother-in-law is, like, I was, I was, like, a ghost. Like, after my daughter was born, I don't even think they knew I was there. <laughs> like... <laughs> It felt very isolating because mm -hmm. at that point on, I was only Ada's mother. Right. You know, like where we had this whole relationship before, and now it was nothing compared to the fact that I gave them a grandchild. Right. right. Is that how they felt? No. 
I don't think it's how they felt, but it it's how I, my perception of how, how I thought it was. Right. And a lot of that was my own insecurities because I felt like that. Right. And I felt like they were just confirming that, you know, for me and I can't speak for them. So I don't know if that's what they actually thought. Right. But the whole world that just tells you like how hard it is to be a mom and how stressed out you should be, how stressed out moms are and how you, that you should feel this way and that you should feel mm-hmm. like everything's terrible and awful and you need a glass of wine every single night when the minute your husband gets home and you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I struggled a lot with the fact that it was really hard to figure out not necessarily who I was, yeah, but what kind of a mother did I want to be? And I felt like I didn't have the space to do that because I was constantly bombarded by people telling me about what I should be and how I should raise my child and how I should be doing this and how they should be sleeping this way. They should be eating this way. They should weigh this much. They should have this. They should be at this mile marker, you mm-hmm. know? And I felt like I, I was silenced in a lot of ways of like, no, like this is how I want to raise my kid. Like, you know, I felt like I knew Ada better than anybody else. And I knew which is true who she is today, like she gets overloaded Mm -hmm. like so quickly, so easily, like sensory, like she has anxiety, like that's very well managed. She has a great job with it. She's an amazing kid, but I knew this better from early on as a baby. And I remember saying like, I want a very structured, rigid routine. I don't want to stray from it. Like if we have to, like, it's not worth having the next day be awful. And there's so many people in my life that were just like, you need to relax. You need to relax. Mm-hmm. You need to calm down. Why do you care so much? And I'm like, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> you know? So I think there's a lot of that. Like when yeah. you ha- kind of go with that identity because you're trying to not lose who you are, but you're also trying to figure out this new part of you. Yeah. Because it's an identity you've never had before. Like you hadn't been a mom before. Yeah. So you don't even know who you want to be. And people don't give you the grace to figure that out. They're like, oh, but you said. And like, yeah, I said a lot of things with my first child that I didn't do with my second child. Right. Like, that's okay, you know? I was very keenly aware before I got married. So Mikhail will tell you this. Like, I told him one time, I was like, I'm, we're going to get married, but I really don't want to lose my Courtneyism, is what I called it. Mm-hmm. And I did lose my Courtneyism, like, somewhere along the way. I was very keenly aware in entering into that relationship that there was going to be some part of me that was going to have to die and something new and I just didn't want to like lose the essence of who I was but I didn't have those same thoughts when becoming a parent that oh I'm going to have this child and there's going to be another part of Courtney mm. that's going to be lost so like, it just I did, I shocked you yeah I didn't have that same awareness and then I just at one point woke up and realized like I've lost all of it right mm. like I just didn't realize that there was going to be that aspect of it with mother because I was excited to be a mom. Like I was mm-hmm. excited to have Mason. I really wanted a baby at that point, but I didn't know like what that meant mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think it can be definitely very character altering for mm-hmm. sure. And you and I and I'm very proud of the fact. Like I don't think that I'm like mother of the year or anything like that. Um, I we're very busy. We run our business. Mikhail works. The kids are in school. They have their activities. We're into like the the chauffeur part of parenting for sure. But I am so proud of the fact that my daughter especially sees me pursuing what mm-hmm. it is that I want to do, what, mm-hmm. what it is that I need to do, whether that's like going to a conference or going on vacation or like taking time for myself or pursuing something that I love. Mm-hmm. 
because I don't want for her to believe that all of her identity has to be wrapped up in who she happens to be a parent of or mm-hmm. who she happens to be married to. Mm-hmm. Like you can have a very rich and a much richer life by living separate lives mm-hmm. in a parallel way. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. your bubbles interact when you're at home, but I have a separate bubble completely outside of my mm-hmm. house. And I want that for her. Right. And it, it's so it is it's so true. And I and I think too, at the same time, you're teaching your sons that their partner in life, whether they're going to be whatever it's going to be, that it that they're partners, and yeah. one doesn't have to sacrifice a dream for the other. And yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely but that wasn't dis- that wasn't displayed to us. Like, oh, I mean, no. I thought we had pretty progressive parents, yeah. but it was definitely a, a more gender role. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And it was more like more like permission than. Mm-hmm understanding, oh, this is what I need. Oh, yeah, sure, take that. Or is it okay with you if I... Well, it's really interesting because, you know, Sam does a bulk of, like, kid stuff since since he started working from home. And and people ask me all the time, like, how do you balance it? I'm like, I have a partner who I said, you should ask him, how does he balance it? And and it's literally, it's a conversation every week. It's a conversation every day. Like, what are you doing this week? What do you need? And we like, okay, I have this, I have this. I can't, I can't move this meeting. I can't do this. Can you do whatever? And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's an... It's a negotiation every single day. Like last night, I realized I forgot that we had a crazy day today. So my whole plan was to clean the house in order to get ready for Sam's birthday <laughs> on Saturday. And I was like, I can't do that. Like You're going to have to clean the house for your birthday. Well, no. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do baseball tonight. If you want to do baseball, like I'll sit, I'll clean the whole house while you guys mm-hmm. are at baseball. But I'm going to need for you to swing by the grocery store while he's at baseball because I can't do it all, essentially. Right. And so he's like, yeah, that's fine. It totally works, whatever, you know. And I... But most women or any like parent may not have that. And like, and I can only imagine if you're thinking, okay, I have to go to the grocery store, take this kid to baseball, get the house cleaned, yeah. get ready for the next day. Like how you, there is no time for you. Yeah. Like you just, you do lose yourself in it all. Yeah. But I love Beth. She's a great person. Yeah. And I, and to end, I think she had the best piece of advice. If you do one little thing every day, you will get better at it. Yeah. And we love no that piece that of advice that if you want to do something, you want to become better at it, just do a little bit of it every single day. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for gathering with us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with Beth, we made a chocolate mug cake with Beth's original recipe. We hope you'll get the chance to make it this week. And cheers to doing that one little thing. To learn more about Beth and her business, visit BethMcMillan.com or follow her on Instagram at OhSoCuteDesigns. And to learn more about our hustles, visit cndevents.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com. Or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at thebradfordnc, and at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we'll talk with you next time on Hustle and Gather.